I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hey, Kieran. How are you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your face. I'm still happy. I know. We just have the same thought. I'm how are, doing well. How are you? <laughs> Good. Good. My birthday is happening. I sewed myself a like simple flapper dress because Cute. it seems correct. So twenty nine, huh? Twenty nine. I was talking to my therapist about it. I was like having an existential crisis, and I was like, I mean, I turned twenty nine on Friday, and she was like, Well, that makes sense then, because that's a thing. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I guess just, just like a little bit of a thing. Yeah guess this makes sense. I have a friend who's turning 24 in a couple months, and she keeps freaking out about that. Oh. And I'm just like, no. Oh. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to. Oh. <laughs> you're not. You're not even close to old. You still have. Neither are we. I know. That's the thing. I'm like, this is like my last birthday before I'm officially old, and I'm like, that's not really true though. 30 isn't old. Yeah. Like, how dare you? And like. <laughs> No, that's not how any of that works. Silly I'm going to be turning 31. Yeah, no, this I'm going to turn 31 in a couple of months yeah. here. And I don't feel particularly old. I just feel like I have a lot more about life that I'm comfortable laughing at. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's really what it is. Did I tell you that some of the, my students thought I was 23? Whoa. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. you're cute. You're very, very ignorant. Yeah. It's fine. It's all good. Um, yeah, so I just um, voted early. Yay. Just before we did this, so that's good. Hooray. I voted like three Super weeks Tuesday. ago. Yeah, Super Tuesday's going to be a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, Super Tuesday's going to be a lot. I'll be happy when it's no longer coming up. But do you know a tiny fact about who might be running right now? No. One of our one of our least favorite people. Oh fuck! <laughs> you do know. I do know. <laughs> you tried to forget. I I did. I successfully like kind of blocked it out of my memory. But no. So sorry. So who who is this? Who is it? Who's running again for always? I feel like. I feel like we should make our listeners guess. No, I'm kidding. It, it is Roy Moore. Again? The pedophile. Again. For Running for state, or for Senate. Not state Senate, for Senate. Senate, Senate. In Georgia. So he's working his way up on the elections that he continues to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah, he's, he's just, you know, cute. Yeah. Kind of the thing. Yeah, that's super cute, super fun. Right, and I really just, you know, I I think probably a lot of our listeners, like, remember what we did about him before, because um, we, we did a whole episode. Oh, yeah, him, right? we've talked just, about it him. Whole, it was not a fractional piece, I didn't think. No. We've, we've talked about him right before, I feel. We've talked about him before. So you guys are a little caught up on that, and if you're not, it's in the archive, and if you're a patron, you can join that and get access to it. Yes. But, yeah, 
it's just interesting because I know this will bring another wave of media about like how his past like pedophilia slash borderline pedophilic actions, pedophilia adjacent mannerisms, I don't know, whatever, have been ignored by the religious right. And there's going to be a whole lot of like the, the evergreen like, what the fuck? Why are you, why do they support this guy so much? Right. And because um, it's normalized, because it's normalized, and we want to give you one example for why. Yeah. So, Kieran, when did you first hear about Elsie Dinsmore? Oh God, I I think I was given the Elsie Dinsmore books along with this book called Beautiful Girlhood and this weird bougie manners book when I was like eight or nine. Wow. Yeah. 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 It was great, especially the manners book because like none of it applied to my life. Like it. It was like here's how you fold napkins, and I'm like, we don't have napkins. Like what? What is this? No. We use paper towels. Yeah. Like this is. We use paper towels and paper plates, and I only have one set of silverware. I don't have eight sizes of forks, so this is (laughs) not helpful. I'm sorry. I don't need to know like where to put a caviar spoon in a grapefruit table. Thanks. None of this applies to me. But Elsie Dinsmore, um, all of these were given to me as like guides for growing up because it happened right after I started puberty. And so Elsie Dinsmore is a fictional character. Um, and she was written to be like an inspiration for young Christian women to a strive to model. a role model. And like in the books, like this is the author's intent is children are supposed to read this book and want to emulate fucking Elsie Dinsmore. And Elsie Dinsmore is the most obnoxious, boring, goody two shoes (laughs) fucking character. And let's just be honest, like everyone we grew up with who read Elsie Dinsmore pretty much, like not all of them, but like 95%, like we're like, wow, this is boring. This sucks. This girl is the worst. And all of the parents were like, here, let's read some more. Yeah, yeah. It was She's like, so read great. All of it. it was so. This is the child we wished we had. Right. Well, I mean, she was the embodiment of immediate and cheerful obedience. Oh my God. First time obedience. Have we talked about that before? I feel like we've mentioned it, but we haven't like gone into it. So the theory is if you're a child who is not immediately and promptly and cheerfully obeying the command of your parent upon receiving it, then you are practicing rebellion. Yes, and that is exactly the same as being disobedient and not doing the thing. Right. It is, it's actually worse than disobedient because it's a form of lying. Right. About being disobedient. Yes, because your heart isn't in it. Which is what matters. You're being deceitful. You're being deceitful. Yeah. yeah. And this is where when you like uh, get into Duggar territory, you get like the bright eyes stuff, like the cheerful countenance yes. comments. Like that required demeanor, that like outward shiny smile and like everything's great. Like that is that is conditioning yeah. based off of this Cheerful, immediate, first time obedience yep. teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it's why, like, honestly, it's why when I get angry, I smile. And I don't <laughs> look angry at all 
because yeah. like I was never allowed to express anger. I always had to be cheerful and happy about whatever it was. So my family, as like you guys know, moved from California to Virginia when I was 12. And the, <laughs> like one of the first impressions we gave to people that I've like heard retold and told again by like other people from that church. Like when they met us, when they first came over for dinner or had us over for dinner, they always talked about like how insanely obedient Mm -hmm. the kids were. Um, There was this one moment, and this is the one that keeps getting retold, where this woman would, she, 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 she was the one who retold it. She watched, she was, she and her family were over at my parents' house for dinner and something was going wrong with one of the little kids like upstairs in a faraway room and i was hanging out with the grown-ups because i as you do. didn't have anyone <laughs> as i as you do and cuz i didn't have anyone my age to hang out with and so um there's like some shriek or something and my father looks at me and i nod and i walk upstairs to go check on what's going on and she was just this woman is just flabbergasted. Yeah. Like, how do you get them so well trained? Like, this is amazing. I wish my kids were like this. This is so great. And and this is why when I see like really well behaved kids in public, I just like feel a little sick to my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, I know what can be going on at home to create that kind of behavior. And this is why like the Duggar stuff is always so like, like terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not. Wow, their beliefs are creepy, or wow, they have so many kids. That's weird. It's the like, the absolute control, yeah, over their emotions that they are required to have in order to f- like please their parents and their idea of God. Yep, yep. That was like. That was the number one comment people had on about my family, too, was, oh, your kids are so well-behaved. And they'd look at me and be like, I bet you help your mom a lot. And I would just, like, smile and nod because they had no fucking idea <laughs> helping my mom. Oh, if only it was just that. Right? Like, be nice. if, like it, if it had only been dip helping. Dip in and do dinner. Yeah. Like, occasionally I'll dip in and stir some things or set the table. Right. That'd be great. Right. Yeah. It's like, no, I literally am the primary caretaker of, like, seven children, but sure, whatever. It's helping. Have you heard of Cinderella? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great uh, image. Anyway, so. Elsie. Elsie Dinsmore was, is propaganda. So, okay, so. When was this written? It was written in, like, the 1850s? It 1967. was written, yeah, in 1867. And there's okay, so, 28 books, because there's just not enough of her utterly riveting character to go around for, like, a reasonable four books. It's It's got the, like, scope of, like, a multi-generational sitcom with no interesting characters yeah. and almost no drama. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Martha Finley is the author. Yep. She uh, wrote these between 1867 and 1905, so she started them just after the Civil War ended. There's, um, like, one of the big things that's that's going on is um, you have the plantation lifestyle is a lot of the setting and the situation for these 
because her family are slaveholders and landowners and they are, you know, super duper Southern Christians. Yep. So Elsie is the daughter of this couple and the mom was a devout Christian and her sister was too and the father was not super Christian and the mom died in childbirth and Elsie for like the first few years of her life was taken and like raised by a family and the father was like too grief stricken to deal with his kid right basically so the story opens when she is seven is that right eight she's eight okay so she's eight and she's like handed back to her father who's like been in Europe I think Somewhere. Regardless, like, away. dad's home, dad's ready to be a parent, and suddenly she's, like, ripped out of her little nest and, like, sent to the plantation to live with dad. Right. Who is not a Christian at all. Who is not a Christian, and she's been raised in this, like, super devout family. So they butt heads constantly, and it's, like, the entire first book's plot is basically like she's desperate to save her father's soul and he's desperate to like break her will to mm-hmm. get him to be more important than God in her eyes. Yeah. Because, you know, he's jealous. Right. I guess. Yeah, because well every relationship in this book is like monumentally fucked up, but especially <laughs> yeah. her relationship with her father. Yeah, well, I mean, and it gets, it gets, that it's set, it's foreshadowing for where other things go. Right. But, for sh- but yeah, it's deeply fucked up. So what does he do? Like, what kind of things happen? Um, well, like, she believes that she can't do anything on Sundays. And. Right. Aggressive Sabbath observer. Right. And so what happens uh, one day is he has, like, his best friend over and he wants her to play the piano on Sunday. And she's like, well, I can't do that because that's work and that's against my religion. And um, he's like, eventually she becomes convinced that, like, it's more important for her to obey her father and that honors God and God will forgive her because she's being obedient than it is to like strictly observe the Sabbath. Right. But like first he like pushes her into a mental breakdown. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, very like, abusive. So like this, this like play secular music on Sunday for my friends on the piano is like the, the breaking point. And she like melts down because he's like demanding that she sin. Right. And and she's just like, please read the Bible and like you'll understand. And he's like, nope. And it then the second book picks up there. And they're like not talking. Right. Because they just like are both super stubborn. And like she won't obey him and he won't convert to Christianity. And like they just there's no hope. Yeah. And then? And then she gets sick. <laughs> then she gets sick. It's always a, like a nice death scare, like where, you know, the, the female protagonist is like a good pawn to manipulate all of the, the um, 
you know, strong-headed males. Right. Yeah. Around her to, like, comply. Yeah. And to appreciate her. <laughs> right. So she's, like, on death's door, and he, like, freaks out and decide and converts. Right. He he suddenly decides to read the Bible and then mm-hmm. is like, oh, wow, she's been praying for me this whole time. And then uh, converts and she gets better and, like, her father remarries somebody. Or not remarries, but marries someone else since he's a widower. And mm-hmm. um, they have some kids and then... So she's got she has siblings, siblings. Now. yeah. Okay, but we got to go back before we can go forward, right? So there's this guy. There's this guy named Edward Travilla. Fuck you, Edward Travilla. Who is as old as her father? She's her, her father's best friend. They like fucking grew up together. And during the situation in which she was playing the piano on Sunday. At that point... Being forced to play the piano being on Sunday forced, or else get whipped. Right. Like, there was no... Like, these books are not, like... There was no child abuse. This, like, these... these oh there was a lot of child abuse in these books. And my she would God. get beat and verbal so abused. Much. And it was terrible. And, and also, like, hello. So this kid is being forced to, like, do something that violates her conscience in order to entertain the father's, like like, Sunday dinner guests. Yeah. Like, who among these people think that this is, like, gr- a great thing and decides to not intervene on behalf of Apparently this all sobbing, of them. freaked-out child? Yeah. This child is traumatized by this. Like, her reasoning's not great, but, like, you don't force someone to do something. Like, deter- being determined to break that yeah. just sucks. Yeah, and that's the entire, like, first two books is, like, basically right. Elsie is being abused and groomed for her father's fucking best friend who falls in love with her when right. he watches her sob so, while playing the piano. Yeah, so there's foreshadowing all the way through with Edward Trevilla where he, like, is super sweet on her and she feels really safe with him and she feels like she can go to him to, like, you know, understand her dad or, like, try to appeal to something, figure out how to appeal to her father. And and so he becomes kind of an ally for her in that way. But, it, like, I learned the word caress from these books because both the father and Edward Travilla are constantly caressing Elsie. Which is just, like, keep in mind, she is eight years old. Yeah, and like, okay, cool. Like the dad's gonna get snuggly, whatever. That's more nor- much more normal. Yeah, but, but like, like her, this this random other dude. Guy? Yeah, and and okay, it might be fine on its own, but there's also all these moments where he comments how she wishes he wishes that she were like ten years older. Yeah, so that she could love him properly. You know, right? And. And it's like, this is not an isolated incident. This is like a little theme that's getting set up. Yeah. 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 Clearly, he's got his eye on her. And so she's being groomed. Right. By him. Yes. Who is, he is literally her father's age. And he's decided that he wants to marry her very, very right. early on in the books. Right. And it's like, it's like clear from the start 
but it doesn't come through until like book three, know, book three or four. four or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they get married. Right. And then they go on a honeymoon to Europe and then the family joins them. And then Civil War starts. Right. And they just hang out in Europe the entire time of the Civil War. Which is just a great little sidestep of having to deal with this yeah. issue. Yeah. Okay. Let's – I'm going to comment on, like, how she interacts with the enslaved people on the plantation before this start happens. Yeah. And then I want to get into, like, where – like, why we were pushed to read these books. Yes. Okay. So – what do you remember of how she interacts with the enslaved people? Like, very kind of infantilizing and paternalizing and, like, I know better than you and, like, I'm a better person than you and, like, I'm going to pray for your soul and try to get you into heaven. And, mm -hmm. like, at no point is slavery thought of as something that's bad. It's always, like, oh, well, obviously, like black people are lesser and they need white people's help and we're just like these very kind loving plantation owners who totally whip people for right you know whatever well okay and then there's this whole thing where like they believe in the you know s fake science that was being purported at the time right this is justification for enslaving slave like enslaving people of color um that they weren't smart enough to be on their own. Right. That they, like, were genetically predisposed to serve, and therefore they were doing them a favor by taking care of them. Right. And that was the, like, baseline belief that gets, like, repeated through these books. And then, like, there's a point where Elsie's... Well, okay, they're also portrayed using, like... Pigeon English. Mm -hmm. Like, none of them are given any dignity in terms no. of, like, their voice or their diction. Um, and then there's, like, a point at which Elsie is, like, preaching to them and trying to save them, too. Right. And, and <laughs> she says, as, like, a motivation that, like... They should get saved so that when they get to heaven, if they're saved, they won't be black in heaven. They'll be white. Because that's a thing. Like, what? I don't, I don't even know. I, it, like, it, so, it's, it sounds like, to me, that, like, Martha Finley believed that, like, blackness equals disability. Yeah, well... And, like, the whole, like, getting a new body and, like, in heaven implies being restored to the perfect universe, which is whiteness. Right. Which, like... It's such bullshit because Jesus wasn't white, but whatever. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. None of this... It's so no, bad. None of, the, none of this makes sense. So and it, bad. And this sets up for, like, everything else. Yeah. But, like, before we get to everything else, why does this connect to Roy Moore? Oh, well, because... We didn't. We never did this. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, 
this is like the book that is given to like the series of books that are given to girls in the culture that we grew up in, where it's like, we are told this is the kind of shit we're supposed to emulate. And this is the kind of stuff that is like, normal and good and old okay, but men like, how did it how did it get children. into our hands how who 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 republished these oh these were out of oh yeah of circulation yeah. this was vision form wasn't it yes it was yeah and wait that's a funny thing what do we remember doug wilson doing or doug phillips doing sorry the same shit oh yeah <laughs> he was he like vision form shut down because the founder was exposed for preying on the nanny. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just like, there's this whole history in like. Well, and we have to like explain what Vision Forum was doing with these. So Vision Forum's like was, is a cult, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. They're reconstructionists, hardcore reconstructionists. Yep. We've talked about that a lot. If you haven't gotten caught up on it, it's basically like people who believe in reform theology to a weird extent and with a twist of like, and until we restore culture in America mm-hmm. specifically to like Levitical law, right? Then w- Jesus is not going to come back, right? So that's their particular sect and they were the ones who were promoting betrothal oh yeah and and pushing stay-at-home daughters so like you don't go and get a career you just like support your father right until you're you find your mate and then you go support your new husband because it was like headship theology like ex- extreme. extreme yeah so this is the organization that finds these books and decides to reprint them and sell them at like these have been available on project gutenberg they're com- like public domain yeah but they reprint them with like fancy leather covers and shit and sell them for like 20 plus dollars yeah. a pop yeah and republish the entire series and these start going like wildfire throughout the homeschool community the conservative parents were just like handing their daughters this stuff and being like, this girl's great. She's Christian. This is like edifying, like reading material. Yeah. Here, read this. Learn how to be a better daughter. It was basically, basically. the message. Like, Right, right. And and the, the treatment of Elsie like would have been already normalized within that community. So like in – you know, people might have, like, disliked Elsie as a person or as a protagonist, yeah. but, like, nobody I talked to really picked up on, like, the abuse until they got out. Yeah, yeah. So, because, like, it was normal for their world. Right. So what was happening to her was did not feel extreme. No, and, like, and, and it was so, it was so normal. And, like, I remember when I, like, to bring it back to Roy Moore... I remember when I was working on his campaign in 2006 and all of us girls were warned not to get too close to him and to dress very modestly because like this was known about him and that behavior was normalized and it was just par for the course with like any old white dude who was in power at all is like we knew that about them. Right. And that that was Um, never condemned. 
Well, and it's like, I mean, if anybody who's listening to this has been following the Daniel Lavery stuff where he publicly split from his family, he was formerly Daniel Ortberg. Like, his parents run a megachurch in Menlo Park, and he's trans and his partner is trans, and they found out that, like, someone close to them in the church was, like, you know, ostensibly a pedophile and hadn't necessarily acted on it, but, like, was constantly struggling with, like, pedophilic desire and was regularly interacting with kids in unsupervised situations during Sunday school. And so they were like, hey, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, you as pastors need to, like, remove this person from this and, like, have some accountability here. And they got told, like, well... It's the same thing as being trans, and we love you guys, so, you know, we can't react to this person because, like, you know, it's, 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 you guys have no ground to stand on Such because you're bullshit. And that's the kind of thing that, like, feeds this. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you know, this dude may struggle with pornography. This dude may struggle with anger. And Roy Moore just struggles with little girls. Right. It's it's literally the same thing as being gay to them. Like it's like well yeah, it's like it's it's honestly less bad than being gay to any these sex, people. Quote unquote sexual deviancy is all the same to them. Yeah, there's no regard for consent no. in, in this world. Well, there is they no consent. like even like God. I remember like my mom's marriage advice to people was always like, oh, just be available for your husband even if you're not in the mood for it. Like, mm-hmm. never say no. And, like, that was the advice I got, too, was, like, so it is your <laughs> job founder, to be available. The founder, the founder of the cult that I was raised in, Sovereign Grace Ministries, um, C.J. Mahaney, like, would talk extensively about this and say that his wife had never turned him down for sex. And he liked sex a lot. And isn't that great? And she, isn't she just, like, a total saint to do that? This woman had had... At least one hip replacement. Oh I think my it was God. two. But like, oh God. Yeah. Really, dude? Like, and you're just saying that out there on God's internet? Right. Like, yeah. Well, and the thing no. too is like the instant that a woman says no, whatever happens mm-hmm. as a result of that is her fault. Whether like right. if you say no, then like your husband's going to go cheat on you and that's your fault because you should have been available. Or if you say no and your husband has sex with you anyway and decides to rape you, like that's your fault because you should have said yes. Exactly. Right. And so, okay. And here's where we get down to like brass tacks with the stuff that's like being, you know, glamorized in these books and how this like tracks with the political ideology of these people yeah like these are the people who like would have been like no we shouldn't like marital rape doesn't exist no we should not put that on the books like and similarly um vision form and roy moore are significantly influenced by this i like i don't even want to call him a historian although technically i guess that's true but like he's so bad He's so bad. He doesn't deserve being called this. No. Um, this guy, Gary North. Oh, God. Yeah. And Gary North, just just Google him. Basically, he, like, in his, like, crazy reconstructionist ideology is, like, not just, 
like the paternalistic romanticization of slavery, not just the like weirdo, like totally batshit uh, portrayal of like African American like mental capacity and like personality that is being thrown in there, but it's also like they are pro-slavery functionally. Oh yeah. They are like, if they are not all KKK members, I would be very surprised, but they are very much like, like the South was a, you know, rising up against an oppressive government and it was about states' rights and not about slavery. Mm-hmm. And also the Bible, like, doesn't condemn sa- slavery, so why should we? Right, there's this whole sentence and, in the Bible that says slaves are supposed to obey their masters, so obviously God ordained slavery. I mean, Paul sent fucking Philemon back to his owner. Oh, no. Oh, uh, what was this? That's not even Philemon's owner's name. Yeah. Did we even she- get the name? No, it's Omnisimus. Okay, yeah. It's Anisimus is the is this the enslaved man's name. Yeah. Paul sends an enslaved man back to his owner and is like, repent of your rebellion. Right. Like these are the people who like latch onto the this and like want to make this law. Want to make this like policy, public policy stuff. So these are the people who were like creating private Christian schools because they were opposed to desegregation. Writing and publishing curriculum. Writing and publishing curriculum. And uh, I guess, you know, I don't know for sure if Martha Finley was, like, directly, you know, a predecessor of all this. But, like, the stuff that's in the books fits very nicely with all of their ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, the as... As the books go on and, like, they come back to the U.S. and are facing Reconstruction, the KKK is, like, sympathized with and, like, becomes, like, like, there's, it starts off being kind of apprehensive about, like, the violence of it. And then they're like, well, you know, it's probably better for you if you have a family member in the KKK. And then, like, a chapter later, like, two women are, like, sewing hoods in secret and are like, oh, I hope our son, like, can use these. And it's like, oh, my God. Right. And and so the and the way it's, like, portrayed is, like, it's not about racism. It's about the carpetbaggers. Right. Like, we're trying to protect our land. Like, this is, this is defending our heritage. Yeah. And, and the reason that the... Elsie's husband and father distance themselves from the KKK at all is because they don't approve of violence because they're super Christian. Right. Yeah. Not because they disapprove of the KKK itself. No. It's only, it's only, well, we just don't like their tactics. Right. That's right. it. That like, is we, the only We agree with them, it. but we think that like peaceful protesting would be better. Right. <laughs> I don't know what they wanted. They did, probably didn't know what they wanted, but like, that's the underlying sentiment. And so I got this, I got given this um, from a family member, extended family member who was super into vision form stuff and like saw me running roughshod with like my cousins and, you know, in overalls with like, 
a bob and like just like being rough and tumble with the boys and like wanting to learn how to shoot and like not wanting to be in the kitchen and all this scandalous stuff. And I was like she's not very ladylike is she and so I got given like a whole bunch of propaganda I got given like this magazine called the king's daughter which was oh, like yeah. a bunch of ATI women romanticizing being stay-at-home daughters I got you know handed the vision forum catalog I got handed GA Henty books and I got handed Elsie Densmore books and I, we had to re-record this, <laughs> but in the last time we recorded this, I talked extensively about like how kind of ashamed I am of how many I read be- and like how much I missed on first read and just like absorbed it. But like, you have to understand this was like a really isolated time in my life. And so I didn't have a lot to read and I was trapped with like a dep- Pressed mom and newly born twins like so I was reading everything in the house so this is when I like read my mom's medical textbooks and like read mm-hmm. all of Shakespeare and read uh, like a whole bunch of links and hues and read like botany books and also read all of the Elsie Dinsmore that we had in the house and all the G.A. Henty that we had in the house and G.A. Henty is a whole other story of colonialism but at least they had like plots that were right. interesting oh my god there was war there were kidnappings there was subterfuge there was none of that in elsie elsie is like this one girl is just trying to be the most christian she's ever like, she's trying to be as good as she can be so she's gonna hang out and evangelize to her enslaved humans and you know soak some crustage that's no, what she's gonna do yeah. So that's that was my introduction to yeah. Elsie. Yeah. I, it was definitely given to me as a way to, like, be a better girl. Mm-hmm. And that was the not subtle message about it. And I was... It, it, it angered me. I was, like, I started reading it and I was offended. Because I'm like, there is no way. Like, this character is the most unrealistic, boring person I have ever met in a book. Like, I don't... I don't know how the story goes. And I think I read like four of them, five. I don't know. I, th- I think I might have gotten up to like I book think, seven, but I read. I think I, I got to like eight like, or nine. I skipped like some books because the bookstore didn't have them. Oh, yeah. And of course, you weren't missing much. Yeah, no, like there was no. Nothing that was like, oh, wow, I feel like I missed a giant plot point here. It's like, oh, no, she's still just pining. <laughs> um, do you remember the time when she, like, turned down, I guess it's her cousin? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. It was so fucked up because... So what happened? So, like... Is his name Harold? Yeah, it's... It's always... Harold's always get the, you know, the shitty... Was it Harold stuff. or Horace? Regardless. And anyway, it's some... It was no. one of those dreadful H names. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was some H name. And uh, this kid who she grew up with, who was... She was, of course, I was obviously... Horace. I think you're right. Like, somewhat related to... Um, distantly, though. Distantly. Yeah. Not, like, super direct. But anyway, uh, this kid who she grew up with proposes to her, and she turns him down for... I don't really remember why. 
Um, and he dies of heartbreak. <laughs> because, like, he just can't imagine his life without the most boring person on the planet, apparently. Oh. Like, she has no... There is there is so little like, to you, her. When you but Kieran, when you are the most boring person on the planet, like it would be more interesting to live out your days with your father father's pedophilic best friend rather than an equally dull cousin Apparently. with a name like Horace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we couldn't have like peers together. That would be too uh modern <laughs> no definitely yeah, has have to that, marry that would be like actually hot right yeah rather than creep like quietly creepy right like, that's the the entire mood of the book is quietly creepy so you gotta continue it. right continue yeah it. like that's the the reason people are reading this book is definitely for the the interesting things that happen when your main character marries basically her father yeah okay so what's great about elsie is that everyone hated her for good reason like all of her well i mean obviously but it's it's just reassuring it's one of those things where it's like you get out after gordon you normalize a little bit and then you start like tiptoeing around checking on like okay but like how did the rest of the world feel about this? yeah it's totally normal yeah and and it's great because you discover to your utter glee that like the entire rest of the world, yeah, totally knew about Elsie and was like, what is this bullshit? Yeah. Yes. It's very validating. It's so validating. So Lucy Mom Montgomery, who wrote the Anne of Green Gables books. Much better. Like does a like a dig on her in one of the Emily books and is like, you know, Go read the Elsie books. <laughs> and it's so bad. Um, and let's see who else. Um, let's see. There's all these other people. But, like, everybody just, like, hates her. There's a mem. Yeah, there's a, a reference to her in The Man Who Came to Dinner, which is a play. And, again, all of these are derisive. And then there's um, Maud Hart Lovelace from the who wrote the Betsy Tacey books have you heard of these before like they sound vaguely familiar okay so these are like like Americana new suburbs pre-depression okay and like these kids are like growing up just after the civil war and like trying to figure out what's up with the world and they're like these three little neighborhood girls it's betsy tacy and tib and they're best friends and they do all these like scalawag adventures mm -hmm. together and um and so like there's this whole thing where like you're not supposed to go to the theater on sunday right because that would be you know scandalous the theater is like not a like what a thing that a good little girl goes to and, People are pretending. And, That's lying. <laughs> they might kiss on yeah. stage. I don't know. Um, and so, like, Betsy, the, the protagonist, like, gets tickets to Sunday Night Theater and is like, ooh, maybe I should, like, turn them down because 
you know, that's sinful. And she's like, Elsie Dinsmore would do that. And then she was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to go. And she's like, I never thought much of Elsie Dinsmore. <laughs> so good. Oh, that's so good. And this just keeps going. Like, all through history, like, there's all these, like, little, like, asides where it's like, nobody likes her. Like, Eudora Welty is like, she's a shitty role model. Um, Thomas Pynchon makes fun of her. Uh, and then my favorite, my favorite is O. Henry. Uh, you know who O. Henry is? Um, only passively. Okay. He's the guy who wrote The Gift of the Magi, that short story. Okay. Was a very popular short story writer. And I don't generally love his stuff, but like, apparently he had a great sense of humor because he wrote an Elsie parody. <laughs> so, you know, like how in Little Women, Joe March like leaves everything behind and goes to New York and like yes. is looking to make her way in the world? Yeah, yeah. So this story imagines Elsie in that position. Which is, and like, hilarious because she would never dare leave, like, the oh fucking plantation. No. Like, how? So good. <laughs> Without someone to feed her and dress her, what and would like, she do? No one to, like, hold her hand and walk her down the street. Like, she wouldn't She oh. wouldn't be able to, like, function. Without male protection. Yeah. She's going to collapse yeah. and dissolve. Yeah. So she's, like, in New York and, like, she's newly orphaned her dad's died and he doesn't he hasn't left her anything and she doesn't have anything to live off of but like there's this like family friend who was like for his old boss or something and she's like trying to find him and like the idea is like this guy's gonna help her out and she like but she thinks that like maybe she should make her own way rather than like leaning on him for help so she's like looking into all these jobs and every time she's like about to get a job someone convinces her that, like, it would be morally irresponsible to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And so she, like, closes her off, herself off from all these opportunities one after the other. Um, and, and this becomes, like, a constant, like, self-limiting. And it sets her up for a bad situation. So I'm going to read a little bit from this, if that's all right. Yes. Um, so there's... This rancher who she sees is kind of a love at first sight moment. And like uh, a cop is like, eh, you should get out of here, girl. Like, don't hang around with people like this. Um, okay. Then she goes for a real, like her first real job. Elsie saw a sign. Employment agency went in. Many girls were sitting against the wall in chairs. Several well-dressed ladies were looking them over. One late white-haired, kind-faced old lady in rustling black silk hurried up to Elsie. My dear, she said in a sweet, gentle voice, are you looking for a position? I like your face and appearance so much. I want a young woman who will be half maid and half companion to me. You will have a good home and I will pay you $30 a month. Before Elsie could stammer forth her gratified acceptance, a young woman with gold glasses on her bony nose and her hands in her jacket pockets seized her arm and drew her aside. I am Mrs. Ticklebottom. Actually, sorry, Ticklebaum. <laughs> Ticklebottom works, too. I am Mrs. Ticklebaum, said she, of the Association for Preventing of Jobs Being Put Up on Working Girls Looking for Jobs. We prevented 47 girls from securing positions last week. I am here to protect you. Beware of anyone who offers you a job. 
How do you know that this woman does not want to make you work as a breaker boy in a coal mine or murder you to get your teeth? If you accept if you accept work of any kind without permission of our association, you will be arrested by one of our agents. But what am I to do? asked Elsie. I have no home or money. I must do something. Why am I not allowed to accept this kind lady's offer? I do not know, said Mrs. Ticklebaum. That is the affair of our committee on the abolishment of employers. It is my duty simply to see you do not get work. You will give me your name and address and report to our secretary every Thursday. We have 600 girls on the waiting list who, in time, will be qualified to accept positions as vacancies occur on our role of qualified employers, that's in caps, <laughs> which now comprises 27 names. Wow. There's prayer, music, and lemonade in our chapel the third Sunday of every month. So <laughs> then she's like, okay, this is kind of wild. So she just is like, I'm going to leave this one. And then she like, it's just, she doesn't take the woman up on the job. She just kind of skedaddles. And then she goes into a, a candy store and she's like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get a job. She's like, he's like, yes, come, come, you know, we'll start right away. And then she's like about to like get on the cashier's stool. And before, it's like, but before she could do so, a gaunt lady wearing steel spectacles and black mittens stood before her with a long finger pointing and exclaimed, young woman, hesitate. Elsie hesitated. Do you know, said the black and steel lady, that in accepting this position, you may this day cause the, the loss of a hundred lives in agonizing physical torture and the sending of as many souls to perdition? Why, no, said Elsie in frightening, frightened tones. How could I do that? Ruin, said the lady. The de demon rum. Do you know why so many lives are lost when a theater catches fire? Brandy balls. The demon rum lurking in brandy balls. Our society women, while in theaters, sit grossly intoxicated from eating these candies filled with brandy. Then the fire fiend sweeps down upon them, and they are unable to escape. The candy stores are the devil's distilleries. Oh my god. And then... If you insist in the distribution of these insidious confections, you assist in this destruction of the bodies and souls of your fellow beings and in the filling of our jails, asylums, and almshouses. Think, girl, ere you touch the money for which brandy balls are sold. <laughs> and she's like, oh shit, <laughs> I gotta find a job. What should I do? And the lady's like, decline the position and come with me. She goes with her and like, and she's like, seek some other work and assist in crushing the hydra-headed devil demon rum. And then she like drives off. And Elsie's like, <laughs> I guess I go, gotta go find this like family man, this family member, like friend mm -hmm. and get some help from here. But then she's like, finds a seamstress position and she's about to do it. And then the guy's like, that's the dressing room of the devil. And she's like, What's going on here? And he's like, they make costumes for the theater. It's the regalia of Satan. The stage is the road to ruin and destruction. Would you imperil your soul by lending the work of your hands to its support? <laughs> and so she's like, oh, shit. Got to try another one. So she, like, basically every single time she gets a job opportunity, mm -hmm. it It's bad somehow. And, like, right. She gets asked to be a scab. 
And she's like, ah, no. <laughs> Gonna pass. So at least she has, like, like at that least going there's for that. So then she finds the family friend, and he's this, like, rich old tycoon. And he basically presses her into being his little escort. Of course. And so the story is kind of like, if you're going to have these, like, high morals that Elsie, like, tries to live by, you're not going to be able to exist within capitalism. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Which like, is not wrong. It's going to be impossible. <laughs> No, it's true. It's 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 a fair critique. Yeah. And it is one of the problems with this whole story is like what you gonna do if you're gonna be like the perfect good girl? Right. You're gonna have to have the personality and lifestyle piece of cardboard because you're not gonna get by in this world at all. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's so bad. Yeah. This is why like I feel like purity tests are such bullshit. Like, generally. Because you can't actually tell if anyone's actually a good person. Well, yeah, and, and you like... you can't also tell if the hymen's intact. None of these things work. Yeah, and and even, like, when it comes to things like jobs. Like, you have to eat or you're going to die. And you can be as, like, <laughs> pure about things as you want. But at some point, something is going to give. Because it has to. I am such a fan of all the like organizers for Bloomberg who are like start their script. The other person's like, nah, man, I'm voting for Warren or or Bernie or whatever. And they're like, good. Yeah. Do you feel the burn? Me too. I'm voting for Bernie also. Yeah. It's like, peace out. (laughs) I'm like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Eat the rich. Yeah. No, that's like, that's kind of, I was making that point on Twitter the other day where like, I... I'm so angry, and here we go into, like, presidential politics, which is funny, because I... Anyway, whatever. You were trying to avoid this. I wonder why. Yeah. So, but, like, I'm so angry that, like, Bloomberg is even in the race at all, and, like, has all of this money, and is doing all of this bullshit, and it's not, like, it's not fair. It's not helping the fucking country. If he wanted to help the fucking country, he would fucking fix the water in Flint. But he's not doing that, Mm -hmm. because he's a fucking egotistical asshole. But... That said, like, I don't fault anyone for working for his campaign. I don't fault the people who are, like, designing the most absurd and ridiculous campaign lit that is the most fucking expensive to mail. And I don't fucking blame the people who are, like, campaigning for $2,500 a month. Because if I had $2,500 a month, that would change my life. <laughs> like, I would. I if, right. if I were offered $2,500 a month to, like say some bullshit that I could then immediately follow up with, please disregard, I'm just paying my bills here. (laughs) I mean, honestly, what's the difference between that and, like, selling Cutco? See? Not much. Yeah. Really not much. So, like... So, (laughs) I mean, obviously, we, we need to be, like, careful and aware and all this stuff, but, like, you... There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, no. period. And and Elsie's just got a really annoying stick up her ass. Oh, my God. Yeah. Also, she's benefiting from slavery. So, like, how is she so pure? Right? Yeah. Like, that is never looked at because slavery <laughs> is like, well, obviously it's God's will. And it's like, no, you are, like, doing the worst thing ever. 
And somehow you're supposed to be like so pure and wholesome and good because like you don't and deign you to think like that you're great because you're gonna save these people's souls and make them white. Because <laughs> that's that's so great. Just right. like white people are just so awesome. Ugh. Why doesn't everybody want to be one? Oh, oh my god. So anyway, that's Elsie Dinsmore, y'all. Yeah, that's Elsie. That's why uh, conservatives don't bat an eye with fucking Roy Moore yeah, and their leaders Roy being Moore pedophiles. Like, because we're all given these books and told this is acceptable and good. And there you go. Elsie Dinsmore. Elsie Dinsmore. <laughs> don't read the books. They suck. You're welcome. We did it so you didn't have to. Uh, thank you for joining us for this really exciting little episode. <laughs> Uh, if you want to support the podcast, um, like, rate, share, uh, subscribe on whatever your podcasting app of choice is. And please, 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 please. Yeah. Uh, support us on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Your support allows us to continue to do this and also to eat so we can also survive under capitalism. <laughs> and uh also, we're working on doing transcripts now. So your funding yeah. it helps us get more transcripts out faster. Yes. And you can get the full access to our archives through the Patreon um, once you're a member. It can be as little as $1 a month. And um, just honestly, we appreciate all of you so much. So thank you for those who are already supporting, supporting us. And we're excited to meet any new ones who want to join. As always, the music on these, this episode is from the band The Heavens and their album Stenazo. And thank you, Dave, as always, for editing this together. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time after Super Tuesday and hopefully more sleep. Yeah, and, and I guess we'll do something about the Salvation Army then, because we've been dying to do that episode yes. for a while. Yeah, stay tuned for the Salvation Army and less election commentary. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.